Good morning once again. Thank you so much for joining us in worship. And before we get started, want to release the children for Children's Church. You'll see Miss Jenny there in the back. And uh, as they make their way back there, if you will, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Now, I'm so thankful for the past two weeks with uh, Justin and A.D. preaching for us and, and for them uh, sharing from, from God's Word. This was a, a great time for our family. We went away to visit our family up uh, north, and one of the sweet things was our first grandchild, our, our granddaughter, was able to meet her great-grandparents and her great-great-grandparents. You'll see up on, on the screen, on the left-hand side is my grandmother, Evelyn. The granddaughter is named after, uh, in part. And then on the right side, uh, Kirsten's grandfather. These five generations represented. And in many ways, while I was up there and with family and reflecting on Advent, what that means for us, I feel like this picture, in many ways, is a representation of what Advent is. Advent is, is, as I said during the call to worship, it's both looking back and looking ahead. My grandmother's turning 98. She was telling us stories how when she was a child, she, she made up these songs with her cousins because her uncle owned a boxcar in Baltimore. And she's telling us these stories from when she was a child. She's looking back on a life that is well-lived, that is approaching its end. On the other side, I have my granddaughter, who's just a few months old, whose life is ahead of her, who we look to the future with hope and expectation, and, and I find myself standing in the middle of these five generations. And I'm mindful this is what it looks like in Advent. As we stand here and we look to the past, to promises fulfilled that God has spoken and He has fulfilled. And we look back and we remember together. At the same time, we look ahead to promises that have been spoken but are not yet fulfilled, that still lay in the future, and we find ourselves standing in the middle of the two. This is my hope during this season, is that we would approach this season with a mindfulness, with an intentionality, that I feel as though... I was saying earlier to some people that yesterday I went out to the store with my wife and there were people everywhere, aisles are empty, and I felt my agitation like start to rise. Like there's cars everywhere, the parking lots are full, the stores are crowded, like I just don't want to be out here. And, and my fear is this, that my heart would be so wrapped up in the speed of the season that I would not take the time to just step back and be mindful, to be intentional, to identify with the longing of why we celebrate what we celebrate. There's a reason, there's a hope that we have, but if I just get swept away in the current, I'm afraid that I could just miss it. And I want us to be able to celebrate Advent together as a church family, but I also want to help with that intentionality and mindfulness as you leave here and as you go home. And so one of the resources that we've put together for this month is a study guide. It's a study guide that you can find right on the homepage at xpoint.com. You can go to the Church Center app. It's right there. 
We're just doing it digital to help save on cost. It's all there. And some of the things that, that you'll find in there is how to celebrate around the meal table with family, with friends, Advent. Questions to ask adults, teens, kids to help facilitate the conversation. Ways to help step out of the busyness and, and be mindful in prayer. There are sections in there to, to help encourage fasting during the season. The intentional stepping away from just filling our bellies. To feel a physical hunger and to use that time instead of eating to identify that physical longing with our spiritual longing. With a spiritual hunger for God. There's activities that you can do with your kids. And, and uh, Jenny Bauman, our director of children's ministry, there's a gift bag that you can get today that has all the supplies for these activities. We want to help us as a family to walk in this season with a mindfulness and intentionality. Not just on Sunday, but even as you leave here. How do we step outside of the pace of the season to celebrate who Christ is in the hope that we have in the promises that have already been fulfilled in the ones that still lay ahead. So I want to open us up in prayer and then reread the passage that Carol and Sue read for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time we have together to step outside of the pace of life to remind our hearts and minds that our rest can only be found in you. Vacations are fleeting. Rest seems to slip through our fingers, but Lord, it is secure in you. And so this morning, as we open your word, Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you give us hearts to perceive and, and the courage to rest in your truth. And in Jesus' name, amen. Again, Isaiah 9 verse 2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Verses 6 and 7, for to us to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is God's word. I think about those initial words to those who walked in darkness to those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. Before the shepherds were in the field that night and angels came around them and the glory of the Lord shone upon them, there was the darkness of the night sky. 
before the, the star rose on the distant horizon leading the wise men to the place where Jesus was born, there was darkness. But it's not just this darkness of the night sky. This isn't the darkness that it's referring to. This darkness that people lived in, the people that, that the people walked in was so much deeper. It was a spiritual darkness, thick, inconstant, unyielding, unending. It saturated everything. And there's a subplot, if you will, to the sermon today. I want us to see the hope that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. But beneath that, I want us to see this theme that runs throughout Scripture, and that is between darkness and light. From what we see from from the very first verses in Genesis to the final verses in Revelation 22. If you remember, in in Genesis chapter 1, it says, The earth was without form, and it was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. There was darkness over the face of the deep. And what did God say? Let there be light. And what happened? It says, and there was light. No sun, no moon, no stars. But there was light because God said it. And the darkness was pierced. And on the sixth day when God created Adam and Eve in his own image, they walked in the perfect light of the presence of God. This is how it was until the fall. Until Adam and Eve decided that they didn't care what God said was right and wrong. They wanted to, in their own pride, be God unto themselves. And they wanted to determine for themselves what's right and what's wrong. Why do I need to listen to Him? Why can't I follow my own heart and my own desires? And let's call that right. I want to be God. And their hearts and minds were blinded by darkness once again. This is how Ephesians 4.18 describes creation. And not just that, but creation itself was once again engulfed in darkness, crying out for redemption. But sin brought about the darkness that it's referred to in Isaiah 9. This darkness that people lived in, this darkness that people walked in was all-consuming. And we feel it. Like if we ask ourselves, and we think back over the past year, two years, like we feel the brokenness, don't we? Have you ever cried out, It's not fair. There's something not right. In pride, just like Adam and Eve, we each seek our own good, pushing down others to lift ourselves up. This is what the Bible calls injustice. This isn't how it was intended. But this is the reality of the brokenness in our world. And we feel these invisible dividing lines separating us until each of us stands on an island on our own. The mistreatment because of the color of your skin or your ethnicity. The ways that you're treated or valued because of your gender. 
the way people talk about you because of your age or generation. Okay, boomer. Oh, millennial. Oh, X, Y, Z. Those who have been mistreated by those in power and authority over you. Those who were charged with your care and protection, but you still bear the emotional and physical scars. The fateful diagnosis at too young in age. The bully at the bus stop. Like if we think about it, we feel the weight of that darkness that still we still feel, we still see there's a longing that still remains in our hearts. We live in a broken world. Hearts and minds. See, if we just jump too quick to the hope that we have without identifying the longing in our heart, we cheapen what the gospel truly is in the weight of glory of God, the eternal God who would take on human flesh to meet us in that brokenness. The people who lived and walked in darkness to those Look at verse 2 again. There is a promise of hope to those, to us. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Do you hear the promise here? But here's the thing that strikes me. It reads as though it's past tense, doesn't it? It reads as though they have seen a great light, but they have not yet. It says, on them a light has shone, but the light has not yet shone. The reality is, is the Assyrian army lies to the north and they are about to invade. There is judgment coming. And those living in Galilee are going to be the first to be taken away into captivity. The reality is, that light would not shine for another 700 years. That's the reality. And yet it says they have seen a great light. On them a light has shone. But this is what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is not optimism. It's not just saying things are going to work out. It's not just putting on a coffee mug, all things work out for those who love Jesus, like a band-aid on deep brokenness. There is real hope that is being spoken here, that God is delivering, and yet all they could see, all the original audience could see, was darkness. Biblical hope calls us to something so, so much more. It is a deep well that we drink from. It is not a wishing fountain. See, this is the image I have in my mind. Sometimes we treat biblical hope like a wishing fountain, like we grab some loose change out of our pocket, throw it into the fountain, and pray that everything's going to work out for the best. But in reality, biblical hope is this deep well that in the thirstiest of times, in the most parched of longings, it is the knowledge that however Deep that darkness goes. The grace of God will meet us there. 
that we can drink deep from the promises of God and He will satisfy us in the deepest of darkness. That is hope. My preference... I've wrestled with this. I don't even know exactly how to say it. My preference is to just preach. I don't like doing videos or other things, but I so want us to, to grasp the meaning of what this is. That someone shared a video with me this week. It's about four minutes long talking about, in the Hebrew and Greek, this theme of hope. I want us to, to understand the hope that we have and what biblical hope is versus just our concept outside of scripture of hope. And so I want to take just four minutes to see this video before we pick back up to lead into the context of the passage that we're in this morning. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavas for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope. 
and they use the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the elpis of glory. In both cases, this elpis is based on a person, the risen Jesus who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. I hope that's helpful, <laughs> right? Isn't that incredible? I was trying to think of like how I could say that, and I was like, then I'm just going to plagiarize the whole thing, so let me just show the video, and because th there's a depth there, and one of the things that, that it says that I want us to see is that they made the statement, biblical hope is based on a person. Oftentimes, there's no evidence that things will get better, but you choose hope anyway because of what God has said. Hope is not just in that circumstances are going to get better. Hope is in a person of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what we see in Isaiah 9, that, that when it says, yes, a light has shone, but then in verses 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name is Jesus. He is the object of our hope. He is the source of of our hope. And even Jesus himself was taking the claim for himself in Matthew chapter 4 because that light that would shine to those in Galilee was John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus said, surely a light has shown those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. But then you continue in that passage. And what does it say? Who did John the Baptist prepare the way for? Jesus. For unto us a child is born. The hope was ultimately in Christ, in Christ himself. And here's what I want us to feel. In the names that are given, it helps us understand where our hope is placed. When it calls him wonderful counselor. Counselor isn't in the sense of how we think about the, the word counselor when it comes to, to mental health. This really is referring to that of a king who gives wise counsel, counsel so wise it is beyond our imagination. It is wonderful, right? Think about this. It's not given to partisanship. It's not just giving counsel based on a political party. It's not giving counsel for personal gain. It is counsel that, that, that is wise and wonderful. It is God, mighty God, this is who our hope is in. This is who Christ is. For to us, a child is born, a son is given. And he is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
The world is not in chaos with God looking in from the outside, incompetent. He is mighty. He is sovereign. He is in one whom we can place our hope and not fear, not doubt. Hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and here's, here's the thing. These, the second and the third that are put next to each other because Jesus is mighty God, a mountain that cannot be moved, but He is also an everlasting Father in whose strong arms we find comfort and protection. He is an everlasting Father. There are those who have been in authority over us who have used their power to abuse rather than protect. There are those who said that they would always be by our side, but they have abandoned and left. But the strong arms of God that would reach out in tender care, never leaving, never forsaking, this is in whom we place our hope. He is mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Like, do you feel the need for that? Like, I'm coming off of like two weeks of vacation. That was great, and it's been a hard week. I've wrestled with this message to stand up here and preach, like, in all transparency. Because it's been, when you feel so emotionally drained at times in life that then lead to a physical exhaustion, there's a reality in these words that I don't want them just to be spoken hypothetically. Like, I cling to these truths because I need them. Because the peace that comes from a vacation while it's sweet in a moment quickly fade when you re-enter life. I need a peace that's greater than a vacation. I need a peace that's greater than, than just a break, than an escape. I need it. I hunger for it. I long for it. This is where I'm at this Advent season. Not just to proclaim something, but to feel it, to know it. This is what God has declared as true, and because He has been faithful in the past, I stand in my present longing with hope that He will fulfill His promises. And that because Jesus is our promised hope, and because we belong to Jesus, we then, as a people of God, are called to be a people of hope. This is what we are invited into. This is what we are called into. From the video it said, in God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future, you look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. That is where we place our hope this morning. Like, where do you feel the hopelessness right now? What situation, what sin feels so overwhelming that all you can see is darkness? 
that biblical hope is not just calling you to optimism. It's not just calling you to believe that everything's going to work out. Maybe the circumstances won't work out the way you want. God's promises have not failed just because he doesn't do what you want him to do. Our confidence is in God himself, in his character, that he will be present. Our hope is in a person, not just in a concept, not just in a thinking, not just in a thought. Our hope is in a person. But the question is, who are you looking to? Who are you listening to? In the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the concern, in the midst of the chaos, who are we listening to? Who are we looking to? Because I find more and more in the world wants to stir up within me anxiety. What about this variant? What about that variant? What about this issue? What about that issue? Look at how bad things are. Look at how worse things are getting. And over and over again, all we begin to look at and listen to are those who speak and live and walk in darkness. But a great light has shown. There are promises that have been fulfilled in Christ that we see both promised and fulfilled. And I feel a desperation to drink deep from the well of His Word, of who He is, of what He has said. That is where I need to rest. And so that's my call. As we think about what it means to long and to have hope in God, how will we respond? What does that look like then for us? Moving forward from here. That there's a reality of something that was said in the video, that we have a living hope. Such a timely and fitting thing, like Justin just preached on this two weeks ago, right? Sunday saints, we serve a risen Savior. Our hope is not in just some historical event. Our hope is in a living person who rose from the dead. Therefore, our hope is alive. This is what was referenced in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope I've been listening to, I like country music, so there was like these country hymns. Don't judge, I I do. But it was like country hymns. And it pulled up one of these old ones, Because He Lives. And it caught me off guard. As I'm driving down the road, Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He Lives, all fear is gone. Because He Lives, He holds the future. Doesn't this capture what hope is? It's in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And because He lives, where does fear go? Where is the concern? Because my hope is in God. And He rose from the dead. My hope is alive. It is living and breathing. It is walking with me in the midst of my concerns in darkness. He is an ever-present Father. He is a mighty God. He is a wonderful Counselor. This is my God. 
And this is whom to whom I will cling. And it's secure. Like, this hope, it's not fleeting. Everything passes. There's always a, a new version of something, right? Like, oh, this is good for a moment. Well, what about what's next? And what's about what's after that? But as it said from the video, what happened to Jesus was a foretaste of what God has planned for the whole universe. And think about this. From what I read in Genesis 1 to the light that would come in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in Romans 8 it says, against its will, all, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Darkness fell on the whole earth. But with eager hope, with an eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For, <clears throat> for we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And we believers also groan. We groan today. We long today. Continuing, we long, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. We have the Holy Spirit. We've seen the light, but there's still a longing for what's to come, for future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released, long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And we too, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. There is a longing that we still have today. We have tasted the sweetnesses of promises fulfilled from the past, but we still long for the day when darkness will be no more, when sin will be no more, when the divisions and injustices will be no more. That day awaits in the future, and our confidence today is in the one who spoke and was faithful to his promises before. And so we wait with hope that is living and secure. And here's that subthread in Revelation 22. Remember when I said in Genesis 1 when darkness hovered over the deep, when sin plunged all of creation, the hearts and minds of people and all creation was led into death and despair. When a great light would shine, what is ultimately fulfilled in Revelation 22 no longer no longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever endeavor. This is God's Word. This is His promise that we hold to.
that is not yet, and yet it is our longing presently. And so in our longing for the world to be made right, my prayer, my plea is that we would look together and fix our hope completely and fully on the person, work, and character, and promises of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Lord, this juxtaposition that you are our mighty God. Lord, that you are an immovable mountain that holds the world in your hands and yet also an everlasting Father that would not crush but care, provide protection and comfort in your strong arms through the life and sufferings of Jesus. Lord, would you help our hearts to find a confident hope and rest in you this season. In the midst of the uncertainties, in the midst of the difficulties, Lord, would you give our hearts the strength and the confidence to rest in you? Would you help us to pull away from the, the current that can make this season so hectic and so busy? Lord, to allow us to intentionally reflect on your character, on your promises. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.